tonight, we're going to kind of, uh, I'm going to just briefly recap what we talked about last week at the Second Amendment. I'm going to try, next week we're going to do two together, two of them together. We're going to do the third and the fourth together, and, and we'll start picking up some speed. I think a couple of the more important ones we talked about, the First Amendment, Second Amendment. I didn't want to just end where we were at because I hadn't gone to a lot of the Bible. Uh, but we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study tonight. Last week we looked at more of um, uh, history. And tonight I want to look at just a couple passages and just kind of get us to think a little. But uh, to recap, um, as we consider where America was and what was going on in the background in those early days building up to the Revolutionary War, these were Englishmen who were being denied Englishmen's rights. Uh, they were increasingly encroaching on their rights. They had rep uh, um, taxation without representation. They were not equally being... Uh, represented there across the ocean, across the pond, and uh, and it was uh, you know they were basically uh, uh, you know challenging their rights on every front. Meanwhile, there were several papers and publications being written about man's rights. James Madison wrote some stuff. You have several characters, several players along the way um, who are all talking about these human rights, these natural rights, and. And lengthy papers that are so, so amazing, they were able to whittle it down to these very concise statements that we know of as the Bill of Rights. <clears throat> but, uh, but along the way, um, uh, things were getting a little, uh, little difficult. And so several, on several occasions, these uh, colonials would, uh, uh, would make appeals back to the king and say, hey, you're encroaching on our rights. We are Englishmen as well, and we deserve the same rights and privileges afforded over there. And, uh, and they kept getting denied. So basically, they started stockpiling weapons because they knew eventually when they told the king, uh, you're, not, you're not stepping on us anymore, he knew that they knew soldiers were going to come and start enforcing things. So the king got caught wind that these uh, colonial rebels were... Um, were uh, stockpiling weapons, so they sent the British military over to uh, start confiscating weapons. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Uh, you're not taking our guns. And, uh, and that tr triggered. Now, that's not what the Revolutionary War was over, but that's what many would attribute to. That was the trigger, if you would, um, pun intended. <laughs> the trigger to start the Revolutionary War, and of course the debate, who fired first, okay? But, uh, but it was in the works, it was in the making. So as we looked at uh, uh, a little bit last week, you know, from, from the examination, I'm just going to kind of just recap this last little part we looked at last week uh, of the Second Amendment. We looked at what many people said, and I didn't even quote all of them. We looked at Patrick Henry a little bit. We looked at James Madison, Noah Webster, all these guys. They kept talking about the militia. Now, who was the militia? You remember? The people, right? Um, it was the people, and, and many of them over and over reiterated that. It was the populace. Anyone that could needs to carry and be well-trained with those weapons. But then they also took it a step further. To what level should they be armed? Equal, equal to the government. Any threat that might come their way. I'd say we've uh, drifted from that a little bit. No, 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 no. The Second Amendment is for deer hunting. Have you ever heard that? For deer hunting. When's the last time we were threatened by a tyrannical deer? <clears throat> I'm just saying, okay. 
No, it's very clear from the writings of of those who influenced the Bill of Rights and the contemporaries of that time. It was very obvious what the nature of that is. And I I would say, if they could see a glimpse of where America is today, they may have had to write a little bit more than one sentence when they said the Second Amendment. I would just think they'd have to add a few more things in there. You know, would you agree with that? Uh, we, maybe we weren't clear enough. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's true. Others said it similarly. It's for a moral religious people, uh, for the Constitution to succeed. It needs to be ethical, moral people. And, um, and quite frankly... Um, uh, well, let, let me share a couple of these that, that conclusions we came to. Uh, for an examine of the language of the Second Amendment within the context in which it was written, a couple of things made clear. First of all, it was accepted as self-evident that every man had the natural right to defend his life, his property, and his liberty. Uh, and, the, and that on that ground, every man has an inalienable, indubitable, indubitable right to defend him, to, 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 to take up arms and to bear arms. Now, some of those things they've, they've chiseled away at, right? Do we have such obvious right to protect property? There's one that's, that's it's, a, it's a tough one, right? Really, only if your life is being threatened in the process of them threatening your property. In, in many instances. And, uh, and that is... These are some tough ones where there has been some encroachments. You know, do I really have the right? And by the way, if I can't defend my, my property, do I really have property? I mean, these are questions that, that we have to ask. And, and, and then also this, as things are chiseled away, how do you get them back? Once you've gone so far, can you really get them back? You know, that's, that's one thing I see with a lot of social programs. Once you start giving out... It's hard to stop giving out, right? And, uh, and so that's why there's always this, this, this tendency for that decline or that slide in that direction. Um, secondly, the founders believed the only sure check against tyranny is an armed populace. The only sure check against tyranny is an armed populace. Now, are we today, is the, is the, is the, the, the populace, is the, are the average citizens or even the collective citizens, are we armed to the level of our military, yes or no? I told you last week, I wish I could get a tank. It just would be cool. Drive down, down Richardson Highway with a tank. No, we're not. But I will say this. Um, we would start seeing some real problems if citizens stood their ground and the government trampled over them. There would be, be some ramifications, uh, not just from within, but I think there would be uh, some military folk that would, that would say, uh-uh, we're not going that direction. It may even, it may even get to the point, and, and, and this is just saying, if this were to happen in America today, there are some things we could say, how would this play out? It would be a massacre. But there may even be you know, other countries that would say, you know what, we're going to go help the people. I, I don't know how it would play out, honestly. But, uh, but that's what the founders believed. They said, here's the biggest check uh, against tyranny is that we'd have an armed populace. And what, what do we keep hearing today? Oh, don't, don't worry, we'll take care of you. You don't need your guns. Now, don't you find it so amusing, sad, but amusing, 
just a couple years ago, you don't need a gun, you can call the police. What are they saying today? Defund the police. Well, now who's going <laughs> to protect me, right? Um, does that mean we're going back to the Second Amendment? I don't know. Maybe. Third, the concept of militia had become fixed in the thinking of our founders as including every able-bodied American. Fourth, the Second Amendment was rendered necessary, not in order to form a right to keep and bear arms, but was co uh, considered natural, inalienable, uh, and, uh, and rather to ensure the right of the people to keep and bear arms against any effort on the part of federal government to infringe upon it. What, do you really think your government would turn on you? What, you guys are a bunch of conspiracy nuts. Well, history is an amazing teacher, isn't it? And if history ought to teach us anything, it ought to teach us, uh, no, you can't trust. Because power tends to corrupt. And uh, how, what's, the, what's the statement? Um, absolute power will corrupt absolutely. And the closer you get to tyranny and the more power that's given, because uh, uh, what, what was our government organized as? <clears throat> Bottom up or top down? Bottom up. Of the people, by the people, for the people. But when it starts, when you start hearing things like, oh, the people don't know what, what they don't understand these things, so I'm going to vote contrary to my constituents. What, what does it start looking like? Top down, right? That's what, the, some of those things were happening uh, with, the, with the various bailouts over the years and then different things as, as um, the, the uh, remember when the big Obamacare uh, package came out and, uh, and you had uh, Pelosi say, we need to pass it so we know what's in it. Many, many people were calling their senators, calling their congressmen, saying, vote no, vote no, vote no. And what were they saying? The people don't understand. They're no longer representing the people. Right? Regardless, by the way, of where you sit on that, they're sent to represent the people. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Fifth and finally, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, with these things in view, it becomes clear that not only did the founders believe the Second Amendment secured the right of the whole people to keep and bear arms in order to provide for the common defense and to provide a check against uh, domestic tyranny, but that the people should be armed equal to the government. The whole point was that the people should be armed sufficiently to protect themselves against natural uh, tendency in government to take power away from the people and to concentrate in the hands of, uh, 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 excuse me, yeah, to concentrate in uh, it, in the hands of one or more tyrants. So, in other words, the people in those days should have plenty of muskets, plenty of gunpowder, plenty of uh, bullets, and maybe even a cannon and some cannonballs. Right? Just recently, Biden had said, uh, said, well, the average citizen wouldn't have a cannon. Actually, yes, they did. Right? Not everybody, but there were ones that did. And there were guys that turned their merchant ships into battleships, right? And there was a process to go through to, you know, get it registered legally and all that kind of stuff. But they, they did that. Um, by the way, it's amazing how comfortable we've gotten with the idea that a government, that we can trust a government with arms who will not trust its citizenry with arms. We're getting more and more comfortable with that idea, aren't we? 
Um, you guys don't need guns. We need guns. And, and it's coming from all people that are surrounded by people with guns. Surrounded by bodyguards. Surrounded by uh, secret service and those kinds of things. Uh, these are signs that say, watch out, be careful uh, about this. And so I want to give... Uh, I'm going to give a biblical basis on, uh, on the Second Amendment and kind of look at what, what did, G, did Jesus have anything to say about the topic? Um, you know, we, we had kind of laid out and established with the First Amendment a couple principles from Scripture, and I'm going to reiterate those a little bit, then we'll go forward. Uh, Jesus Christ, of course, is King of kings, Lord of lords, seated at the right hand of the power on high and rules over the kingdoms of the earth. We see Daniel 4, 17, 25, Matthew 28, 18, and and 1 Timothy 6.15, and so on, uh, that, that, that Christ is the, the ultimate sovereign. And he gives uh, his kingdom to whomsoever he will. He, he said that several times in the book of Daniel. Christ's commands are, are the first grounds of our religious right. Would you agree to that? What the Bible says are our first primary grounds to religious right. If America goes tyrannical tomorrow and says Christianity is officially outlawed, Right? Uh, where, what is our basis for our religious rights? The Word of God, not the government. So what does that mean? Well, it may mean we'd have to evacuate this building, but we're going to have church, and we're going to worship God. Right? And uh, I was actually talking to someone about this, uh, this yesterday. You know, the time's coming. I think we ought to prepare our young people. Hey, we're going to have a lot of lay preachers. You know, a lot of average church members, you know, might be having home Bible studies. And, and the Lord's church will go on, you know. And uh, these, are, these are real possibilities down the road. Um, <clears throat> but Christ's commands are the first ground for our religious rights. He commands us to believe on him, John 16, 9, to repent and believe the gospel, Mark 1, 15, to receive the truth, uh, John 8, 32, and and John 70, 17, to, to obey him in all things, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and so forth. Since we must obey God rather than men, no law for, uh, from man interfering with our obedience to his command can be lawful. Um, look at uh, Luke 22, if you have your Bibles. Look at Luke 22. Jesus just had the... Um, the Lord's Supper, the first time he did it with his disciples there, and he instituted that. Judas had already been dismissed. He's, he's going and getting ready. He's making his deal with the devil, so to speak, getting ready to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is sitting there. He had just told Peter, you're going to deny me, Peter. And in that light, as they're sitting around there, look at verse number 34, Luke 22, 34, and, uh, or 35. And he said unto them... <clears throat> When I sent you without purse, you guys know what, what a purse was? A uh, purse was the bag to keep the money in, a little uh, bag that they'd carry. When I sent you without purse and scrip, scrip was the money, and shoes, lacked ye anything? In other words, when, when, when they were with the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't see any indication in the Gospels that they ever went hungry that they ever had to go uh, to Payless Shoes and get some new sandals. I, I really think it was actually similar to the time to the children in the, of Israel in the wilderness. I think the disciples' shoes never wore out in three and a half years. 
I mean, we just, we don't see that. He says, I didn't send you with extra shoes. I didn't send you with money. I didn't send you with, uh, with a purse to carry your money in. Uh, I took care of your needs, is what he was saying. <clears throat> and they said, they said to him, nothing. We, we lacked nothing. Jesus, you took care of our needs. Verse 36. Then said he unto them, but now, why now? Jesus is about to leave them. But now, he, he that hath purse, let him take it. And likewise, his script. If you have a purse, grab it and bring money. Because you guys are going to need to have, you're going to have to need to buy things. But he, notice he said, if you have a purse, bring it. He didn't say go buy one if you didn't have one. He said, if you have one, bring it. If you have money, bring it. And let him take it. And likewise, his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Interesting. He, he, there may be some that didn't have a purse. He didn't say, go buy a purse. There may be some that didn't have script. He didn't say, go and make sure you get some money. He said, if you have it, bring it. But here's one thing. If you do not have a sword, go get a sword. Now, in this day, in this time, uh, it, open carry was not allowed by Jews. Kind of interesting. And, uh, and what is a sword for? Does anybody know what a sword is for? Is it to butter your bread? It's, it's, it's for, well, yeah, uh, unless you have an assault sword. <laughs> but yeah, it's for, it's for, to do battle, to do war. And it's not for, um, it's not for a spanking. Right? I don't discipline my children with a sword. It's fatal, just like a gun. It's fatal. Now, we, we, can, we can come to a couple of conclusions. What was Jesus getting at? Was he wanting his disciples to go out and murder? Is there a verse against that? Absolutely. Right? Thou shalt not kill. Um, was he, did he tell them to get a sword to go out and rob? No. We have thou shalt not, what? Steal. All right? Was it to take that sword and to go out and further the gospel? No. No, you preach the gospel. You share the gospel. People have a choice to believe the gospel, right? So what, what, what's left for the sword? Defense. Defend what? The things he just listed. Person script. Your things. Okay? Now, this is interesting because then he jumps to a prophecy. Verse 37. For I say unto you, that this is that, uh, that, that is written, must, ye be, must yet be accomplished in me. So he's saying there's some, a prophecy that he has to fulfill. And here's what the prophecy was. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. Now, when you see that prophecy in Isaiah, that he was reckoned with the transgressors. I don't know about you, but I've always seen that in Isaiah as, well, yeah, he hung on the cross with two thieves. Makes sense, right? He quotes that right after he tells the disciples to get a sword. Look at the next verse, verse 38. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he says unto them, it is enough. Two swords was going to be enough to fulfill this prophecy that he was reckoned with the transgressors. Now, we know Peter had one of the swords, because what's he about to do with his sword? He's about to cut an ear off, right? And what does Jesus do? 
That's the wrong use of that sword. Now, we understand God gave us the sword of the Spirit. What's that? The Word of God. And really, we are in a spiritual battle. He gave the sword, the physical sword, the sword to execute wrath upon evildoers. Gave that to the government, Romans 13. But it says that these authorities are ordained of God. In other words, they, they, they are under His leadership and they're a terror to not, not to good works, but to evil works. So when the sword of authority, that sword of governmental um, uh, uh, discipline, if you would, is being misused and they become a terror unto good works, they're no longer under God. They've usurped their authority. It's amazing these Christians that say this unconditional surrender to the government. Well, we must obey the powers that be because they're ordained of God. Yes, they are under that authority from God. When they step out from that authority, what do we do? We will obey God rather than men. Are we, are we okay so far? By the way, it reasons that God's people who should understand righteous judgment should be involved in those areas. Guess what? Christians should be in the military. Christians should be in law enforcement. Christians should be in these areas. In fact, it would probably greatly aid in the salt and light of this, in this world. If these areas of government become completely atheistic, what does that look like for the believer? Now, what, did I, what, was, what was one of the things you got to get rid of for ty- tyranny to really take off? Bible believers. Got to get rid of Christianity. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Liberty. Where the Spirit of Antichrist is, there is tyranny. So, so he says this. This is really interesting. His disciples carrying a sword, and apparently two swords was enough, two among the twelve. Judas is gone, so I'm going to include Jesus in that. Two swords among twelve people will fulfill a prophecy that he was numbered with transgressors. Did you know when Christians rebel, non-believers are going to look at them as evildoers? And I use the word rebel carefully because I'm not talking about, I'm talking, you know, uh, one of the founders had said, rebellion against tyranny is obedience to God. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Rebellion against tyranny is obedience to God. When they rebel, humanly speaking, but they're obeying God out of a pure conscience, this is what I believe God has for us to do. Did you know the unbeliever will look at that and say, look at these Christians, they're transgressors. And, and folks, this is really the tough balance because we're facing, we're dealing with some things along these lines right now. All right? John MacArthur is fighting a battle in California right now. I don't know if you've seen any of his interviews. It's, it's kind of fascinating uh, hearing what he's having to say as, uh, as he feels that they're being uh, unlawfully targeted um, as, uh, you know, churches and ministries and so forth. So on the one hand, they're saying we're trying to keep a good testimony and we want, to, we want to be good in our community. On the other hand, they're saying, but they're keeping us from obeying and following God. And at some point, there, there is a point where you will cross over and say, I'm going to obey God rather than man, even if it looks like I'm numbered the transgressors. So Peter's got a sword in his belt. And he used it. <laughs> he wasn't very good at using it. This is why you should 
not only be well armed, but trained in the use of it. Okay? <laughs> Peter should have been trained in the use of it. But this is really interesting because Jesus is saying this scripture needs to be fulfilled. We need to look like transgressors. Now, I don't think it was his intention to say, all right, Christians, let's look like rebels. But the reality is there are times when, quite frankly, you'll look like a criminal standing up for righteousness. What did, the Bible, what did Isaiah say about Jesus? We esteemed him smitten, stricken of God, and afflicted. When a criminal is hanging on a cross, and he's a bloody mess, as he hangs there, does he look innocent? He looks guilty. When you see a person in an orange jumpsuit and chains on his feet and chains in his hands, does he look innocent? He doesn't look innocent. And as much as we want to, and as, as much as our society, our law system is based on innocent until proven guilty, when you are in that attire, you do not look innocent. Because that's in our mind what criminals look like when they've been caught. So, so when you have John Bunyan in prison for preaching the gospel without a license. He's the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Guess what? He looked like he's in trouble. When you have the Apostle Paul in prison, waiting for his execution, and he says, all have abandoned me. All of them have abandoned me. All the preachers, all these other guys, some are preaching the gospel to add to my bonds. Guess what? In that time, for the undiscerning Christian even, Paul looked like a criminal. Hard to wrap our minds around. So come time of the Revolutionary War, you had preachers getting up there preaching about liberty, about freedom, about inalienable, indubitable rights granted by God. And then they take off their clergy robe He's ready to go enlist with me. And under that robe, got an officer's uniform. He's ready to go command his own unit. And they march, he marches his congregation. All able-bodied men, come with me. We're going down and we're, we're enlisting. And we're going to fight. They look like criminals, don't they? British come in. What did they see them as? No doubt the British military saw them all as criminals. They don't even have uniforms. How could they be a military? <laughs> he says two swords are enough. I just find it very interesting, this, this passage, how he kind of puts that, that thing right there in the middle of it. Enough for what? To defend themselves, but to be counted among the transgressors. Now, beyond that, notice again what he had said. At that moment, he said two is enough. But in verse 36, again, if any of you do not have a sword, time to start selling some things and getting a sword. In other words, sell your PlayStation and go get an AR-15. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus would say in our context today. Go sell that thing. You know, you have too many shoes anyway. Go sell some shoes. Sell your Jordans and go get a gun. Because there's going to be a time when Jesus was saying, I am not going to be here physically to protect you, and you may need to protect yourself. The whole case I'm making is this. 
the Second Amendment's biblical. You can go back to Deuteronomy, and it talks about, it talks about taking someone's life in defending your own life, and you're going to be okay. Fast forward in our Judeo-Christian culture, guess what? Our law protects the same thing. I've shared with you, it's awesome. My wife and I got to go and sit in the chambers of Congress <clears throat> and got a midnight tour of the Capitol this last March. And, uh, and uh, on, the, on the walls up top, see, when, when you see it on TV, you see all the people, right? Where the camera doesn't show is the up top, and it's kind of like this. There's a part of the ceiling that comes out, like in our, our uh, uh, sanctuary right here. And uh, they have the side bust of several philosophers and key figures in, in, uh, in, in world history, and, and you got their names underneath them. But there's one that shows the full bust. And it's, it's in the very back of Congress, right up there. And the face of this bust is staring right at the person that presides over uh, the, uh, the, the, the Congress. So whoever the president is of that present meeting... Every time they bring a law to the floor or a bill to the floor, and every time they consider matters, the president that presides over that has to look up and look at the face of Moses. What does Moses represent? The law and the lawgiver. And every time they pass a law in our country and behind them, when it says, In God we what? Trust our adopted national motto. Every time they pass a law, a bill into law, or they're, they're ready to send it to the Senate, they have to look at the face of Moses and be reminded, and I hope that's what they're doing, but I know that's what was in the mindset of the builders. They were reminded of all laws really ultimately come from God. Does this go in line with those natural laws that God gave? Or are we going in the direction of tyranny? I love it. I think that's an awesome thing they have in there. And, and, the, and some, I, don't know, I don't know who it was that, that suggested that, but it was a discussion at one point. And, uh, and quite frankly, I think it was a very brilliant choice to say every time something is brought to the floor, we've got to look and, and, and think about the representation of God's law. Interesting. Let me share with you another point. I know this isn't a typical sermon at all, but uh, doing a little history and a little bit of Bible study. Uh, in Luke 11, and starting in verse number 17, interesting passage. <clears throat> in fact, we'll back up to verse 14 to get the context. Luke eleven fourteen, And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it, and it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake. And the people wondered. And some of them said about Jesus, He cast out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others tempting him, <clears throat> sought of him a sign from heaven. And he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. You thought Abe Lincoln said that, huh? He's quoting Jesus. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit go, uh, uh, is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none. He saith, I will return unto the house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Really interesting story that Jesus gives. First of all, he gives a natural illustration. The illustration is this. In order to capture a house, in order to capture a palace, you must take the, bind the strong man. That's why in military strategy, you want to take out the leader, right? You cut off the head of the snake, what happens? There's no more snake to be afraid of. Okay, and uh, so he says this, you bind the strong man, <clears throat> you take his armor that he trusted in, and now you can divide his spoils. Then he gives this spiritual illustration about a man who had a devil cast out of him, and the devil wanders for a while and doesn't find rest. So he says, I'm going to go back to where I came from, and he finds it cleaned out, but he still finds it vacant. And by the way, some great spiritual truths here, folks. It's not enough to just get rid of garbage. You've got to replace it with something good. Or else there's a void there, and the devil's going to find something to fill it with. So he gets seven other demons worse than himself. And they come back, and they take over that man again. And the, the latter part of the man is worse than the first. Jesus provides an analogy in this parable, and you know, he, they accused him of casting out demons by Beelzebub. That was a Chaldean word referring to the dung god, represented by a fly. It was one of the names of Satan. His argument begins to sh showing the, the, their accusation is unreasonable. If the house is divided against itself, it's not going to stand. If Satan's divided against Satan, <clears throat> against himself, his kingdom's not going to stand. So he turns and he kind of tells them this story and what he does next is really important to consider. When a, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he cometh upon him and overcome him, he taketh from it his armor where he trusted and divide the spoil. The simple, the simple fact, you know, as we look at this, is that uh, at the center of, of uh, this was kind of at the center of his ministry, and this was a point where he was kind of turning from the unbelieving Jews and began speaking in parables and so forth. And, but at this point, basically, uh, we can look at this and say, well, Satan, if you would, is the strong man in, 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 our, in our topic we're discussing. And he's armed and he's keeping his palace in peace. However, the stronger than Satan has come, the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and he's overcome the strong man, and that is the reason Jesus can so easily drive away devils. Jesus says effectively, those who are not with him in the spoiling of the devil's palace are against him. Those who do not gather up the spoil with him, they scatter. And the word scatter means uh, to disperse or, you know, to disperse out, to scatter. Those who do not gather up the spoils of the devil with the Lord run off and hide 
So to clarify what he's talking about, he offers an example. When the unclean spirit's gone out of man, he, the unclean spirit, walks to dry places seeking rest and kind of reiterated that. And what does this all mean? The Lord has come and he's overcome the strong man. Um, <clears throat> Matthew 12, 28 through 30. Mark 3, 26, 28. He is overcome. He has spoiled the house, Colossians 2, 15, spoiling principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing in them. He has taken the armament of the devil that occupied the house and driven them off. He left us a house clean and garnished and we're charged to occupy till he returns, Luke 19, 13. We are told not to give any place to the devil, Ephesians 4, 27, to submit to God, resist the devil, and he would flee from us, John, uh, James 4, 7. But because we failed to occupy, we refused to, uh, uh, or, or we've, we failed to refuse to place the, put the devil in his place and resist him. We've not driven him out of our house. The devil has reasserted himself and coming back with, an, with a vengeance. And so here's the case. It's now reversed. When God raised up our country, the devils of tyranny occupying the room of power were driven out. By the way, you can't convince me for a second that God did not have a hand in our nation's founding. Not for one second. The evidence is insurmountable that God had his hand in this nation. It was a very special thing in world history. And by the way, don't feel ashamed when you consider American exceptionalism and where that came from. Not only was it a gift of God to us, it's been a gift of God to this world. When God raised up this country, that's exactly what took place. The devils had long been outcast, uh, wandering up and down dry places. For a long time, they found themselves with less and less territory where they could rest. America was an influence in breaking the power of tyrannical darkness all around this world. <clears throat> And with the devil having less and less territory where they could rest. And America was an influence in, 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 in breaking this. But she has become weak and she's now vulnerable. And the devils of English tyranny have teamed up with those devils of Persia and elsewhere. And they've embodied in one, uh, they, 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 they've taken on this character. And they, they're laying an assault upon our house. And the last state of our country will be far worse than the first. The devils are coming in great vengeance against the liberties for which we stand. One of the ways he's done that is this. This idea of tolerance. By the way, who are we to look down upon a nation that's in tyranny and to think we should rescue them? Like we're, you see? Now, now, now it's a tough balance because I think America's gotten its hands He's overreached and gotten, gotten our, ourselves into too many people's business. But on the other hand, what have we always been? We've been champions of light, champions of freedom, champions of liberty. I mean, what was Vietnam all about? I know that was a dark day in American history. And it was not, it was not good. But what were we trying to do? We are trying to free people from communism, from tyranny. You look at the two areas where we've inserted ourselves. We, we, this is what we're trying to do. And yet they're coming for liberty. And I, I wanted to kind of give that illustration, if you would. 
And that's what those devils are after today. And we must resist or be enslaved. It's true that a man is free to own arms. Uh, a man who is free to own arms is a citizen. Well, the one who is not is simply a subject. That's really the difference. Those who are free to, to own arms are citizens. And they can protect themselves. And they can protect their, their, their property and their families and so forth. But without that, you're simply a subject. The government will take care of you. We will protect you. Well, now you're a subject. And really one step away from a slave. Because the government that can give you rights is the government that can take away your rights. That's why the Constitution is all negatives. Shall not be infringed. Shall not be taken away. Shall not... Uh, um, um, what, what is it? Um, establish or respect a religion and so forth, right? It's all nots and will not and cannot. And, and why? Because these are things that are self-evident. Today, we need to be like Nehemiah's workmen with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. I love the picture, right? But you know what believers need to be doing? In the same passage in Luke 22, right after he mentioned about the sword and everything, Jesus then goes to the garden. He takes his inner three with him, and what does he tell them to do? Anybody remember? Watch him pray. I'll tell you what, believers, the devil has not done a cleverer thing, a more clever thing than distract Christians while he's coming in. You know, what, uh, you know what makes a good um, um, illusionist? You can do a sleight of hand, right? Diversion. Hey, look over here. That's what the devil's doing. Look over here, guys. Meanwhile, we've lost the discipline of prayer. We've lost the discipline of biblical discernment to watch. So you know what we do? We identify with Peter, James, and John. What did they do? Three times. We're sleepy. Could you not watch with me one hour? Hey, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Hey, we come together in church and we're saying, yeah, we're willing. Amen. We're going to give ourselves to prayer. We're going to fast. We're going to read our Bibles. And we're going to, 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 to see these things with spiritual discernment. But then we go home and we're like... Oh, I'm just so tired. Let's turn on the TV and see what's going on there. You know, I, I'm guilty, and, and I'm not against leisure time, and I'm not against these things. But so many Christians are walking around, and they're saying, quite frankly, they don't want to see. They don't want to see. Folks, we need to watch and pray. And the more we watch, it ought to cause us the, all the more to pray. I'll tell you what, if current events have not driven you to your knees for our president, for our governor, for our representatives, the things that are going on, you want to really have a powerful voice? Take it to the throne, to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, who, who still has the heart of the king in his hands, and like the rivers of water turns it with whoever he will. Hey, you want to have an influence? I got a direct line with an influencer of our, of our nation. 
I have a direct line to God who can steer the heart of President Trump, of President, or Vice President Pence, who, by the way, prays to the same God. But, you know, it's so much easier just to be, stick with my own life that I got going on. Hey, do you enjoy your life? Do you love your life? What is a Christian patriot called to do? That's why I thought it was important to kind of go through some of these things. I don't want, uh, I don't want to reiterate too much what we've gone through already, but uh, I'll be honest with you, and I've shared this already, I, uh, I was never taught the Bill of Rights growing up. So I said, I'm going to study the Bill of Rights, but not only that, I'm going to do it from a biblical perspective. Because they were God-fearing men, and they cited Scripture in the process, so surely I'm going to find some things in the Bible that go along with the Bill of Rights. What were they thinking? And You'd say, church is not a place for history. I'll tell you what, I'd rather uh, uh, help my children have a good, balanced view of history than, than indoctrination schools to say, well, here's really what should have happened. In fact, we really can't take serious anything that they had said, because after all, they own slaves. What does that have to, wait, what? How did you connect those dots? But that's what's going on today, right? And so, uh, Christians, we need to do our part. God has given this world a tremendous gift in America. We have freedoms, but if we don't use them, we're going to lose them. If we don't vote, we're going to lose it. If we don't do our part, if we don't make phone calls, Guess what? We've got technology. You don't have to send a letter to your congressman and take weeks to get there. If I wanted to go take a trip to D.C. and go see him face-to-face, like, like this, uh, this spring, got to meet with uh, Dan Sullivan for a while, and his wife was there. And, and you know what we did? We hopped on a plane, and we went and saw them, right? And uh, it's not like the old days, <laughs> okay? We have one of our representatives here with us tonight, and, and uh, guess what? He'd be willing to give probably any one of you his phone number. I'm maybe speaking ahead, I didn't check with you, but call him. What's the latest? What's going on? How about this? How can I pray for you? When I said that to Dan Sullivan, him and his wife started crying. Because he meets the constituents all the time, wanting this, wanting that. Hey, we need money for this. We need, you know, this thing and this thing. And he meets with me and my wife, and we say, I want to know how we can pray for you. And I told him, I said, if you have a, an important vote, if you have something going on, I said, uh, you call me or have one of your staff call me, I will drop what I'm doing and hit my knees and go to the throne of grace on your behalf. And he started crying. Folks, they're, they're in the fire. You may not agree with everything that's done, but pray. When's the last time you prayed for <clears throat> Lisa Murkowski? Have you, criticized, have you prayed as much as you've criticized? Yeah, we have one honest person. <laughs> All right. Now I'm meddling, but uh, boy, as Christian patriots, folks, we need to do everything at our disposal to fight for the soul of our country. And it's election year. That's really what's at stake is the soul of our nation. God's gift to the world. You know, the rest of the world, some of these less fortunate countries, they're looking at America, and they're watching right now. They're watching what this next election is going to do. Because right now, there may be a ship under attack by pirates in the ocean. 
and they're sending out a distress signal. You know who they're calling? The U.S. Navy. Over 200 a year calls like that. They're not calling France. They're not, they're not calling Iraq. Saudi Arabia. They're calling America. Folks, if the light goes out in America, the world's in trouble. That's why we're doing this series. And thank you all for being out. It's an encouragement to me because it tells me you're interested. So thank you for being here tonight. Why don't we, uh, why don't we have a word of prayer? I uh, sure appreciate you all. Next week we'll look at the Third and Fourth Amendment. And hope that will be a blessing to you. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for, for this time together. and Lord, we have such a rich heritage. Like the psalmist said, I have a goodly heritage. Lord, I, I do believe, as many have said before, we really are about one generation away from losing it all. I pray, Lord, that you'd stir in, not only in our congregation, but across this land. Stir up in your people. If we just realized, if we would just vote the Bible, if we would vote our convictions, we could take America back. Father, help us. Give us boldness. Give us courage to stand and to even take back some of this ground that we have lost to the enemy. Understanding that this is truly a spiritual battle. I pray for our young people. I pray for this next generation. What are we going to leave behind for them, Lord? I pray that every one of us would view this as so much bigger than the here and now. But for posterity's sake, we will fight this spiritual fight. We love you, Father. We thank you for this time together now. Pray that you bless our week, keep us safe, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thanks for being out tonight.